there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Hey, the doctor. Who's that? It's Dr. Rashid Bittar. Advanced medicine time, my friend. How are you? Good, Robert. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Uh, you know, ready, uh, really rocking in this new year with a lot of cool things, but at the same time, a lot of strange things and absurd things. And, you know, I love, we love to talk consciousness, you know, changes and transformations that are occurring. You remember the, the Old Testament story, the Hebrew Scripture story of Passover? Mm-hmm. Right, they marked the, you know the certain doors so that the spirit wouldn't come in and harm. And I'm just thinking that something like that is going on at the FDA. While the consciousness shifts world over, people are going, ah, we don't want those drugs. They're not getting the message. They're not getting the word. In fact, 2014 was like a record year for for drug approvals. New drugs approved in 2014. What's going on over there? Well, I think it's probably indicative of the death struggle that we've talked about. You know, the struggle reaches a peak right before uh, ultimate demise, and I think that's what's happening here. We just see this is the death struggle going on. This is the peak of, uh, you know, and maybe next year will be even one more higher peak before it finally changes. Maybe it'll take another 10 years, and maybe each of these next subsequent 10 years will dwarf each preceding year based on the number of uh, drugs being approved. But eventually, I think um, the death struggle will end in death. Well, you're right. I mean, isn't there like animal and plant life right before it dies? I mean, it just does desperate things to try and, you know, not either die or to have some kind of offspring. Like plant life will suddenly release all of the seeds at, at once, you know, and it's sort of like with the FDA. Let's approve 41 new drugs for all kinds of things. Yeah, actually, it's an analogy that I use with cancer because that's exactly the last thing the tree does before it dies is it rapidly pollinates and uh shoots off the seed as far and as wide as it can. Yeah, so I agree with you. This is probably, um, you know, reflective of that same phenomena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at 41 drugs, the, the highest number in 18 years. And, again, it, nothing's changed. It's not like suddenly they discovered a drug deficiency for which they've got to find approval for. None of these things. In fact, a lot of them are so-called what they call orphan diseases, very limited audience, interestingly enough. But I think this is tying into the kind of centralized Obamacare kind of things that are going to cover certain things because they've got treatments like we've talked about, the hepatitis C drug, I think 94000 over the span of six or eight weeks for a drug. Who can ever pay that except the uber-wealthy? So it's going to come out of this collective pot that they try to force everybody into. Yep, I agree with you. What I really like about this particular article, though, was that <clears throat> it says that the uh, FDA drug, drug approvals are considered as a barometer of industry innovation and the federal government's efficiency in reviewing new therapies. Right there, you know that's a bunch of BS. They're yes. about as efficient as uh, you know, trying to drive a golf ball through a garden hose. So <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that they're not going to be able to uh, use that as mm-hmm. it, pretty much a common sense dictates that anything that the government's involved in, we know that the larger the body, the larger the organization, the more inefficiency you're plagued with. And so yes. for them to say that this is showing innovation in the industry and the federal government's efficiency, I mean, that pretty much, you know, uncovers the 
the yes. truth that we know it's quite the opposite. So, it, well, it I, is I just, that word federal know, efficiency. The, the two words together become another level of an oxymoron: federal right. efficiency or government efficiency. We know that that's not the case. What is it? I think you're right. It is somewhat of a death struggle or death throw. We've got to get more of these things out there. Uh, still, a lot of the people that are sleeping might think that's a good thing. Uh, but when you look at the cost for these so-called orphan drugs or limited-use drugs because they don't have the big blockbuster to lie about cholesterol, the next layer you know, coming out to put everybody on, then it becomes a desperate struggle to say, how much can we get the government to cover? You know, If we get the FDA to approve it, and some of these FDA people end up working for us, then they'll get the stamp of approval. They'll profit handsomely when they leave government and come to work for I mean, you see this cycle playing itself out until the bankruptcy is so far beyond evident. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that this is probably not just something that we're seeing with the FDA. This is probably passing a mnemonic of any large organization that has a agenda that they want to, you know, a subversive agenda. You probably would see the same thing in the insurance industry and, probably see this in many other industries, same type of phenomena. Yeah, it says here nine drug approvals in 2014 benefited from the FDA's quote-unquote breakthrough designation. I mean, what, what is it, I mean, what kind of breakthroughs have you heard the FDA has done this is, this as far as releasing a new drug? Again, this is mainstream media's yeah. propaganda and spin on whatever they want to create. And, uh, you know, one person has a detrimental outcome from, um, say, whatever, like that child that died from chelation as an example, you know, and they made a huge, mm-hmm. huge media hype about it. It was everywhere, and yet 55,000 people died of um, Biox before anybody pulled it off the market. Nobody talked about it. That was a drug that went through the FDA, and they, they even disclosed the hidden emails and secretive emails that talked about the fact that the manufacturers knew what was going on, the FDA knew what was going on, and still they didn't pull the drug off the market. But the right. media barely covered that story. So it's the same thing. I think this is another propaganda spin on, you know, hey, the government's so efficient, we're just creating so many more drugs. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, the check right. in the mail, you know, that's the type of story. Yeah, it says even here. here, as we go through this story, I'm just looking, I'm going, this reveals everything about this is just an economic game. It has nothing to do with healing. Uh, because they're talking in terms of what did they lose, what did they gain? For instance, years past when Plavix and Libitor went off, off of patent, and of course, suddenly they became cheap generic uh, knockoffs. Uh, then, of course, they lose a lot of profitability. Uh, in 2012, they say 29 billion in annual sales lost patent protection, subject to generic competition, while the drugs that were new entered only at the 11 billion scale. So, obviously, there was an Im- impetus or an imperative: the FDA, you better get off your aspirin and start approving more because we're losing too many patents, and this drug industry that supports you, FDA, is not going to like this much longer. Yeah, exactly. And if you just look at these numbers, that's a eighteen billion dollar reduction in their in in the source of revenues coming in. So yeah, exactly. I think that's part of parcel of it. You know, they may not be bringing as many uh, dollars mm-hmm. per drug. So let's just increase the number of drugs to try to compensate. But what is interesting, though, this isn't the highest year. It's the highest in uh, since nineteen ninety six. <clears throat> but still, when we start looking at the data and the iatrogenic causes of death. And we know that they're directly related to uh, the the use of many of these pharmaceuticals or indirectly related uh, f- to these pharmaceuticals, meaning that there may be a side effect of the drug, direct side effect, or there may be a resulting consequence that then leads down the path eventually, uh, ultimately ending in death. So whether it's direct yeah. or indirect cause, 
these drugs do certainly have a huge contribution to that third leading cause mm-hmm. of death, which is iatrogenic causes. Sure. And what is the FDA uh, fighting for? Well, the drug industry. They're not, you, you know, and they're fighting against who? The American people. I and mean, what do I mean by that? It's like, well, they fight against anybody who provides, for instance, dietary supplements, herbs, uh, plant medicinals, uh, different things that can actually make a difference and heal them without harming them or killing them. And the FDA actively goes out with other agencies like FTC to target individuals who are daring to speak truthfully about these substances. As I said so many times, the public. Right. But they're protecting the drug industry and it becomes more apparent every year. And as I've said before many times, the reason I can speak more truthfully and directly about these things than most is because I'm not selling any of these products. And it would be a a much harder case to say, well, uh, we can violate his freedom of speech because he's profiting off of what he said. I'm not selling anything except I'm giving information so that you can make better decisions. And that's empowering to you, which, of course, is threatening to those who want to remain. Have you remain? You and me remain powerless. There's a there's a. Was it the t- good morning? Good morning today, or good good morning show? Good morning, America, or today's show? But, yeah, yeah. We'll mash them all up; they're all the same. <laughs> yeah, it's NBC. I think it's NBC's show, and that's the one that I was supposed to be on. You remember a couple of years back? About five today, years. yeah, the Today Show. Yes. Yeah. It, no, no. This was not the Today Show. This is one of the morning shows, though. But regardless, anyway, I was supposed to be on that show, mm-hmm. and then and basically myself and Boyd Haley were nixed at the at the last minute. And it was all about um, the cause of mercury and its relationship to autism, the cause of autism, excuse me, excuse me and the relationship to mercury. And yeah. the producers of the show had a child that had autism, and that was the reason it was going to go through. And last minute, it was they did the show, but myself and Boyd weren't on it. And I came to find out eventually, a couple months down the road, was because they were told that they, they had about a half a million dollar per commercial, and they had averaged two to three pharmaceutical commercials during this show every morning mm-hmm. and they were told that if I was going to be on the show and and if uh, uh, Haley was going to be on the show that they would pull those commercials for the next six months mm-hmm. so they the, the manufacturers the pharmaceutical industry were able to manipulate the information that would be put out by this particular show by um, essentially yeah. Controlling the message by manipulating um, dollars by saying yeah. that we're going to pull yeah. this advertising. So you know you're looking at a million to million and a half dollars per day, five days a week for the next six months. Well, they weren't going to do that. That adds up to something. And by the way, if anybody thinks that Dr. Batar is exaggerating, he's not at all. In fact, I don't know if I've talked to to, to you, uh, Rashid, about this. Uh, you know, I've put your name forward to be on shows from time to time, including on some major networks. One recently got back to me and said we really love his message. But the legal department, read economic department, won't let it happen. Yeah, I actually just had that happen at a at a conference uh, that Agora was going to be at, mm-hmm. and um, uh, basically Agora was they, they were exhibiting there. Okay. But because I was going to be there, their legal department, not not the person that was actually in charge of the conference, because he was excited. And I was excited to be there because uh, Robert Ringer, who's somebody whose work I've read a lot of, self-improvement guru, and uh, he was going to be there. Mm-hmm. And they said that basically they were trying to convince Agora, and Agora's legal department said, no, we, we don't want to be there. Uh, if Dr. Pitar is going to be there, we're not going to be there, we're going to pull out. And and the question was why, and they said, well, because there's a, there's a lot of... Uh, 
what was it? Something, something like some word related to lightning rod, or, or they didn't want to be guilty <laughs> well, con- by controversy. Okay, well, controversy. Fine. Let's just say that. But listen, the controversy we're engaged in six days a week here, of course, is the controversy that disempowers those who want to rule over you chemically, biochemically, with drugs, for instance. And Dr. Batar is here. You can check it out, medicalrewind.com. If you ever miss an episode of Advanced Medicine here, we do it every Monday evening or afternoon if you're on the Pacific Coast or downloaded for free all over planet Earth and, of course, at medicalrewind.com. Go get the nine steps to keep the doctor away. It's linked up in the show notes. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Hey, more big surprises from Big Pharma and the minions who deliver the drugs, including the chemo that we talked about for a long time here. And last hour, Dr. Batar, you missed the story. We actually had a, a reporter from Fox, Connecticut, uh, talking about another medical kidnap, forcing a 17-year-old uh, girl who did not want chemo for a lymphoma, and her mother was supportive of her. Uh, they, they've taken her away. They've actually strapped her down. They're forcing chemo in her. And it's any wonder that cancer doctors won't discuss herbs and supplements with their patients. This story coming out of healthfinder.gov. Yeah, I did not hear about the 17-year-old, but God, I, I don't know how many now, Robert, how many stories have there been like this where yeah. where young adults and or uh, adolescents or especially the pediatric population has been forced. I remember that story with the Amish child that the parents had to actually leave the country to avoid uh, the child from getting the chemotherapy, and they said that the child was going to die within six months, and I think it's two years out now, and the child's doing great, but the parents can't come back into the country? Is that... Is that yeah, well, I, I think there's there's ongoing sagas, and there's more every day. This site called medicalkidnap.com is something that we're following, and, and it's just staggering, Dr. Bittar, how many uh, families are dealing with this devastation as the the state-sanctioned religion of modern medicine uses the power of government to take children away, force them into drugs and therapies and sometimes even vaccines that are not wanted nor needed. It's a very, very sad, sad space to be in, but I'll tell you that uh, I think this will be part of the reason that the current time historically will be remembered 20 to 50 years in the future as this was the saddest time and the most Mm -hmm. barbaric time uh, in all of mankind's history from a medical standpoint. Me, I, I would think even exceeding that of Nazi Germany and the experimentation that was done then, because now it's not being done as experimentation. Now it's being done openly as, quote, and they call but, it the standard of care, which is, right. you know, really barbaric. It's benevolent kindness, of course, in an Orwellian sense. Now, this story about physicians not speaking to their patients about herbs and supplements um, my take on it is that they're more concerned that the patients might actually find out that those things are better than the chemo, for instance. But their a focus in this article is about interactions with chemo. And what have we cited? Uh, we've cited studies that show that these supplements are actually protecting the healthy cells, not the cancer cells. Right. Well, that's true, too. What I find interesting about this is, first of all, it's, in, it's a governmental website, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services website. Yes. Um, and, and really... Uh, at one point here, it is interesting to notice that the primary reason that they believe that the doctors are not doing this and not talking about this is because, and they admit, due to lack of 
knowledge. So I found that very interesting. Third paragraph into the article says, lack of knowledge about herbs and supplements and awareness of that lack of knowledge is probably one of the reasons why oncologists don't initiate the discussion, said the study's author, Dr. Richard Lee. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that they actually admit that. And, mm-hmm. um, of course, now this guy is the director of integrative medicine at uh, University of Texas, MD Anderson. And, mm-hmm. you know, University of Texas, MD Anderson is an interesting place I, I i speak from first-hand experience because i worked there yeah. while i was a resident in texas and um did they have an alternative medicine program integrative medicine that back then nope they did not and okay. um they, they did not and i also know that there's been some very interesting research being done on certain spices in uh md anderson i also know that there has been a lot of discourse because some of the results that they got mm-hmm. from using some of these spices um was dramatic and was it basically caused a rift within within MD Anderson and you know we we're going to go into more political things again sure but 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 I mean it's necessary to discuss this because well if they find it suddenly it should be embraced you'd think wow let's look more into that because certainly if it was a drug it would be front page news but it's hush hush and those that are for it now are being attacked within MD Anderson is that the indication well this is this is a couple year old information now that and I happen to be privy to it just because some of the people that were involved and and I'd known them for some time, mm-hmm. um, and, and also because of some of this work that we've been doing in cancer and with some of these similar spices and same class, so the results weren't just promising. The results were amazing, and as you said, you would think that they would embrace it. Uh, when I said they, the, the you know the entire faculty or the entire staff but that was not the case because it there were certain people that had faced that they would lose their egos would be bruised uh their, their agenda would you know whatever agenda they had uh, right but the point is that there there are rifts there again it's always political yeah well and those rifts of course become into the surface you can't hide them anymore that is the shift the energetic shift that's occurring and it's becoming more obvious That big, bad government and big, bad pharma are not supporting or empowering you to heal. But we're doing that here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rashid Bittar. We've got some flu stories. Stick around. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. say thank you to all those who support this message of health, freedom, and healing, liberty six days a week. And, of course, each Monday we go outside the box. No, that's Ty Bollinger on Wednesday. Sorry, Dr. Bittar. Had to bring that up. No, Mondays we do advanced medicine together. Medicalrewind.com. And also, get a copy of the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. And my experience says you should get at least two or three because somebody's going to grab that one copy, like my Aunt Ruthie in England, who has it now, and she won't put it down. She won't give it back. 
<laughs> That's how good it is. Uh, but uh, Dr. Batar, all seriousness now, the Daily Mail out of the U.K., we've been covering a lot of stories, covered a story here in the United States recently, a tragic story about a little girl, three years old, who died, they say, of influenza A and B, 72 year, hours after she began to feel unwell. I talked about this story. She ended up at this place called Blank Children's Hospital in Des Moines, and she died. And interestingly enough, you, we were talking about MD Anderson. You were telling me on the break, you actually, did you intern there? What were you doing at, at Blank Children's Hospital? Well, I went to medical school in Des Moines, so we would rotate in during the third year of medical school. Fourth year of medical school, you do clinical rotations at different hospitals in different places, depending on where your lectures were. So I spent, uh, I think I spent six weeks at, uh, at Blank's. Wow. Now, this story ha ended tragically there at Blank's. A three-year-old, the mother says she was healthy, she had a flu shot, she can't believe what happened. Uh, she described her, her, you know, her little girl telling her that her, her, feet, her legs were so weak she couldn't walk. Uh, the mom you know, makes her drink enough water but also gave her ibuprofen. And it seemed to get better, but then it got worse. It's a very, very sad story. And... It just seems like, um, you know, again, not not knowing all the details, it certainly seems highly suspect. I mean, you would not expect a child to have that type of a reaction. They get the flu. Flu is self-limiting. And, uh, you know, people say, well, it's not self-limiting. People die from the flu. Of course they can die from the flu. They die from dehydration. They die from different things. But mm -hmm. this type of thing does not sound like dehydration caused or influenza caused this sounds like something else and um well when it's preceded by a flu shot and then a weakness exactly. in, I mean, the, in the lower extremities that that's suspicious to me and then she goes when they go to the hospital before they even went to the children's hospital they immediately put her on iv antibiotics and if it is actually the flu then that's caused by a virus and antibiotics are not effective against viruses and so again this is another common issue in medicine. In fact, it's been the subject of many papers, and in fact, it's been the subject in, as far as the heading of magazines, uh, emergency mm -hmm. medicine and critical care, one of the critical care journals as well. I remember on the cover, they were discussing, or the, the question was about a main article that was, um, for that particular edition, was the main article, and it was talking about the indiscriminate use of antibiotics and this is part and parcel of it. In the emergency rooms, people come in, they got an earache, everybody gets put in an antibiotic, even though the vast majority of those ear uh, issues, those ear infections, if they mm -hmm. are actually infections, it's either a viral or it's a, a reaction to how the parents are feeding the child, meaning the baby mm -hmm. is being kept recumbent, you know, they're drinking the milk, milk goes into the station tubes, causes inflammation and other types of problems, and then the child has ear problems, and they think that, oh, this must be an infection, and then they start treating with antibiotics, even though it has nothing to do with an infection or bacteria. And I think 70% of all otitis medias are viral in etiology anyway, yet being treated mm -hmm. by antibiotics. So this is just an example of the indiscriminate use of antibiotics. Now, if this child had sure. gotten, let's say she got the flu shot, they're right there, by definition, she is going to have now a greater propensity, a greater chance of actually getting the flu. Why? That doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. She got the flu shot. Why would she get the flu? Because, one, there are adjuncts and other materials like mercury and formaldehyde that are immunosuppressive. Plus, there's an attenuated virus in there in the flu shot, depending on the type of uh, flu shot it is. But if there's an attenuated virus, 
then that virus could become, even though they say it's killed a virus, it's not always killed or it's not always attenuated enough to the point that it's not virulent anymore. Right. And, and Dr. Batar, they did say she tested positive for both influenza A and B. Right. So, so there you go. So she had a flu shot. She's tested positive for influenza A and B. What do they do? They give her antibiotics. Antibiotics right. are not going to work in influenza A or influenza B or any influenza because influenza is caused by a virus, not by a bacteria. What do you think about the use of ibuprofen in these cases? Because, of course, they're always told to reduce the fever, but there's a great danger in doing this with a child, is there not? You know, that's, there's a lot of discussion about that. Now, I personally, um, versus, you know, medically speaking, I personally look at how the system was designed. So the white blood cells in the body are designed to release a substance called interleukin-2, and interleukin-2 is actually why we end up having the fever, and fever is a beneficial thing. Um, to suppress the fever, if it's below 105, I believe that there is, or, you know, 104 and a half, uh, I personally don't, like, when I get sick myself, I don't take anything for that, okay? I right. actually want the fever to be there. I, I, I want to basically encourage that fever because that fever is a natural body's defense mechanism. Now, when you when temperature gets up above 105, now you start having a risk of protein denaturing and causing other types of problems, which is like brain injury and such. And in that type of case, to bring the fever down is very, very important. Now, yeah, but we can I, do that with an ice bath without a drug, could we not? Not really. They they used to try to do that, and the people mm -hmm. will try to attempt to do that, but that's, again, not dropping the core temperature. That's dropping sure, the sure. peripheral temperature, and then the hope is that the blood circulates through the periphery and becomes cooler and comes down to the core temperature right, and drops. Right. But it's a very inefficient way of... Uh, of, doing yeah. it this of course, well, you know, effect. I've been utilizing homeopathic medicine to modulate fevers for, for decades with great success without having to resort to uh, an ibuprofen-type drug. And, and that, would, that would make sense, uh, you know, because the homeopathics work. They're effective. And not that the cold ice bath won't work, but it's just not as effective. It takes, you I, know, yeah, I um, understand. It makes sense. It does. Yeah. Uh, but, but in this case, again, we've got a series of things that happened that were interventions for medicine. And I, I would argue that this is more or, more or less something that, it, you know, a child could come through if supported in the functions of the body as opposed to suppressing every aspect of it, which is what apparently happened here. Right, but my question would be a little bit different, Robert. My question would mm -hmm. be, what was the contributory factor for, of, of, the, of the vaccine to cause this to happen? And I think that's really, sure. you know, if she had not had the vaccine, she would not have had this problem, and she would still be here. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh, I, the bottom I line. I mean, and, and I, I, I'm very. I know some people have said that's a huge uh, leap. It is not a leap once you know what the vaccines do and what's in these mm -hmm. vaccines. It is not a huge leap at all. In fact, it, for it, it, it's a very, it's a very um, sequential and logical conclusion after knowing mm -hmm. what mercury does and what formaldehyde does and what some of these DNA addicts do and do. And just historically looking at what the vaccines uh, have caused, what kind of problems these vaccines have caused. Yeah. Now, there's another story your wife sent us uh, about a, a teenager now uh, who died days after her flu symptoms appeared, similar to this three-year-old, but a different case, although tested, uh, I think, theoretically positive, I'm not sure, but it, with influenza A. And as they, they say, this is worse strain than ever. Again, we look at the body and we try to encourage the body. I see these secondary complications are usually due to things like that modern medicine doesn't acknowledge, like liver congestion, kidney congestion. The body can't excrete and move these things out. And and the things that are intervening, even though they're well-meaning, tend to block the functions of the body again. 
Well, that's exactly right. And when they say it's the worst strain ever, you know, you have to look mm-hmm. at this in context. Worst strain ever, or do we have more pollution on the planet, and we have more right. GMOs in our system, and we have more mm-hmm. crap that we've introduced in the system, and we've given more vaccines to these individuals, and oh my God, this is the worst strain ever. No, exactly as you said, yeah. it's that the system is more susceptible than ever. Yeah, we become more corrupted, we become weaker. These children have been hammered in ways never before. More GMOs than ever, more vaccines than ever. And that's never taken into consideration in these news reports, although they will acknowledge, well, there there were illnesses. But then in the strange cases where they say these kids are really healthy, then we get into these so-called cytokine storms because they're aggravated. Their immune system's working so well. They're saying it's working too well. But I think, again, they can't keep up with the excretory processes in these cases. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And it's one of these phenomena, too, because we haven't really looked at this from a medical standpoint. How does it affect individuals generationally? So mm-hmm. we know that there were certain types of insecticides and pesticides that were used that actually have affected the second and third generation of women, certain types of birth control pills that have caused mutagenesis later on in the second and third generations. Well, how do some the use of some of these other components that we're using um, in our food systems, in, in the pharmaceutical industry, how are they affecting the second and third generation? So you notice that these are the younger, you mm-hmm. know, like this child that you talked about, the three-year-old or the 17-year-old. Right. What type of uh, abuse did their parents have from, when I say abuse, you know, what type of abuse happened to their systems from their inoculations and their Right. Whatever they consumed. And this is happening all around us, by the way. It's not just like, why are we talking about this one three-year-old? Why are we talking about the 17-year-old? This happened to be what the local media picked up. But if it's happening in one place, it's happening in a thousand places concomitantly. So it, right, right. it's all over. Uh, we well, just, you know, Most of the time, a child dies, oh, a child died from influenza A. Boom, it's done. Or influenza B, or whatever. Right. Parents didn't raise questions. Their parents didn't get upset. Parents... So they don't talk about this. It's it's con- considered normal course of action. People die yeah. of influenza. That's why you should really make sure you get your influenza vaccine. Nobody's looking at all the other stuff that was done that led to the person's demise, you know, before the influenza or leading up to suppressing their immune system so that the influenza would be a problem in the first place. Well, exactly. And if we talk about the things that we would do, of course, uh, <laughs> avoiding mercury-laden, aluminum-laden inject- injections, uh, for one, uh, obviously, hydration is a good thing, but even avoiding these non-steroidals and these ibuprofens that can damage liver, kidney, intestinal function, which the seat of the immune system, again, all of these things working in concert. And, you know, that, and that's all, all true, Robert. The thing is, though, that if you take the key component out, the body can actually compensate for many of these other things. Meaning, if mm-hmm. I, the reason I said it's a, it's a vaccine is because... It, the vaccine is such an assault to the whole system, to the entire endocrine system, to the neurological system, to the you know the entire homeostatic mechanism system. It, it's it's like a sledgehammer to the immune system. So you're causing all these uh, right. compromises to occur. That then the ibuprofens or this or that or whatever else, right. you know, the body can actually compensate for it. But when you add all these things together, you're certainly going to have a, a much lesser chance of survival. But that, for me, yeah. it's the vaccine well that's why the nine steps to keep the doctor away uh should be something everybody reads because you don't want to go there if you don't have to um can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things it's the robert scott bell show robert will be right back (laughs) 
Robert Scott Belcher. Scott Belcher. It takes two what? Super Don. The story of the day has to be out from Fox News. And Dr. Bittar, being the doctor that you are, you won't mind going here, I hope. <laughs> uh, a, a man, a man uh, with two penises has written a tell-all memoir about his condition and lifestyle, according to the news story here. And I had yet to ever hear of a story like this. Is this something that they cover in medical school? Two penises? Yeah, a man with two wieners, if you can say it that way. Uh, I have not um, had the privilege of uh, dealing with something like that. <laughs> now, we call Super Don Super D. This guy calls himself Double D. Double, <laughs> Double D. D, dude. Uh, he was, I guess, tired of ask, answering questions about it, so he decided to write a memoir called Double Header, My Life with Two Penises. Huh. Yeah, because he actually had <laughs> he actually had uh, you know questions that weren't answered in the, I guess he had an AMA session which was that American Medical Association asked him or Reddit yep. AMA oh Reddit um, ask me anything I'm sorry uh, yeah AMA American Medical Association is that what you're saying he, they had they they questioned him or I don't understand I thought that it might be but it's called an Ask Me Anything session with Reddit so the guy the super oh, doc, this is that. not really a medical story I guess it is sort of it's a medical well, anomaly listen, it's a rare medical condition I believe it's called diphalia or okay. diphalia okay. and um, you Two know listen, I mean it's it's yeah. very strange and I'm sure this guy was kind of nervous about you know coming out about this because if people knew about this, they would they probably say things that would rub him the wrong way. So, oh no, you didn't you know, just say that. To, you know, That's he, he nice came out there, with a memoir. Huh? To, oh um, god! What? Super D to the rescue! All right, no, listen again. Yeah, it's a real thing. You can read about it. We have it linked up in the show notes at, at robertscabell.com. They said it's actually related uh, to a higher risk for developing spina bifida. I guess again, it's a it's a, it's a sort of a defect in that way. And and most women would say, uh, no, get away, too, uh, too, too many. Well, it all depends, right? <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah, to each his own or to each his owns. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Hey, listen, let, real quick, if we can wrap up. We've got what a serious question. When you leave, leave Don to come up with a story, see? I know, that's a danger. I know, I like it when your wife sends the stories. They're much, more, much easier to cover. <laughs> yeah, they're much, <laughs> they're much more relevant, maybe. <laughs> and, and it's not even two for Tuesday, Super Don. Couldn't you have waited till tomorrow? All right, Look, never mind. I know, I know. It's probably hard to believe. I, I am not pulling your leg, I promise you. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Hide the kid, Super D. All right, all right. Planned out. I, had, I think he had it all planned out. He was looking for the opportunity to come in with these little puns. He was nice. waiting for this all day, I'm sure. Okay, now you've had your fun. Hush up. Hush up, my friend. All right. Uh, sorry, real quick. You to be a jerk. We, oh, come on. we got a couple. We got a question. If we can get to it real quick, it relates to blood pressure. This is, it says, hi, Dr. Robert. Hi, Dr. Batar and, and the gang. Um, this is our, a listener from Spain. Jay in Spain. He says his wife has high blood pressure. She's on uh, high blood pressure meds. He found ibuprofen in her in her uh, medicine cabinet. He's very concerned. This guy's 65. He runs marathons. He, he doesn't want to see his wife perish too soon. And I know we can't give medical advice for her, but you know what's the relationship between ibuprofen? We talked about it earlier and blood pressure. Is it the kidney relationship? Well, that's probably. But when I read the question, Robert, I kind of saw more than him, his question or concern about ibuprofen and blood pressure medicine. But the blood pressure sure. medicine is a big thing. But, you know, I think this is a more of a philosophical answer rather than the pharmaceutical 
connection and, and try to answer his big concern. Uh, you know, when I read the whole email, and again, we don't have time to cover it. Uh, how much time do we have? Like two, three minutes left? Literally uh, about a minute and a half. Okay, so basically when I read this question, what really hit me was here's a guy that's running half marathons, and he's in his 60s, and he's, talk, he's talking about his wife who's on all these medications, and then he goes through the medicine cabinet. He, she has more medications, and the reason that she's on these medicines when he's trying to talk to her is that she's afraid that she's going to have um, a stroke. Heart attack or stroke, yeah, yeah. Right, and so she's continuing to take more medications, and this is really the, the problem here is a dichotomy between the husband and the wife in the sense that the wife is fear-based and she is doing more things based upon the fear that she's buying into, that's the propaganda of the day, mm-hmm. and trying to alleviate herself from having to deal with something in the future, but not realizing that it's a fear that's motivating her, that's causing her to have more and more problems. The husband, on the other hand, is on the opposite spectrum. He's proactive, he's doing stuff, he doesn't want his wife to get hurt. And, and his, his concern is, you know, what do I do? What do I do to help my right. wife? And this comes down to, as Confucius said, we should take every opportunity in our lives to preach and never open never. our mouth. And Beautiful. he has to understand that where, whichever path she's going down, yeah. all he can do is either direct her, but it's hard to be a preacher in your own house. It's hard to be right. a preacher. To, to, you just got to support and love when you can't do anything else in there. And that's a great message to end on, Dr. Batard. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, to everybody, for being here. The message is, you know it, the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show.